We love to sing hymns from every era, but I, I think I can say with confidence, and if you haven't figured this out yet, we're living in the greatest hymn-writing era in the history of the church right now. Uh, hymns written by, by these men, Matt Merker and, and uh, others that are just phenomenal, that have finally taken the truth of the gospel and put it to music in a way that is so memorable, so uh, amazing. And I hope that you will try to learn your hymnal as much as you try to learn your Bible because the two go hand in hand, absolutely together. Well, tonight we're going to be in 1 John and then in Romans 12. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John is the little bitty letter right before 2 and 3 John. It's even shorter. I know the bulletin says that we're going to continue in our series with Strength in the Desert, but I'm going to make you a deal. Um, first of all, uh, I didn't want to shorten our teaching time in Strength in the Desert because of our, our ministry fair and, and those opportunities because I really want to get into the life of Anna when we get to it. So the deal is, is we're going to skip it tonight, but I've added one. We're going to end Strength in the Desert in six messages instead of five more. And uh, we're going to end that series with Psalm 62, um, which is, I wait in silence before the Lord. And so I think that'll be a good way to cap it off. So that's my deal with you tonight. We'll skip it tonight, but I'm going to add one extra. Tonight, I'd like to speak to you briefly concerning a very simple question, and that is, do you love the church? Do you love the church? Now, someone might say a better question is, do you love Christ? And I would agree with that, but to be fair, we ask that question a lot at Grace Bible Church. Pretty much every Sunday morning service is the implicit question, do you love Christ? That's what we're about. But can you say, as one person told me in an email once, you can love Christ but not love the church since Christ is perfect and the church isn't? My reply to that email was, that is the theology of an unbeliever. Because, according to Scripture... You cannot love Christ and not love the church. You can't have one or the other. It's it's both or neither. And just to show you this, and I've read these to you before, basically all I'm doing tonight is just reading you some scripture. Scripture opens itself up to us so beautifully. I just want to emphasize this to you about the love for Christ and love for the church. And so we're just going to walk through some scriptures together. Um, 1 John 2 Verse 9, and let's just follow along together, play a little Bible drill here. 1 John 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And you have to understand in the theology of John, light is salvation, darkness is being lost. That's a very simple way to understand his metaphor. The very next verse, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So there we have... If you love your brother, you love your fellow believer, you are a believer. You're abiding in Christ. The very next verse, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Look with me at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And this is, by the way, this love, this is active love. This is not emotional love. This is, this is love that acts, that does things, that, that lives life together. Two verses later, verse 12. 
We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Unbelievers at their core have the capacity to hate Christians. They might be able to fake it really well, but they have that capacity. But a true Christian loves his church family. A true Christian says, I've been given such grace to have this family that Jesus has given to me. Two verses later, 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You don't love the church, you're going to hell. That's basically what John is saying here. He's very black and white about this. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The very next verse, verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He keeps going. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Meaning, if you think that our member care ministry is weird and irrelevant, you might not be a Christian because we we love one another. He keeps going. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is active love. Down in verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And the the implicit assumption here is, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments, his commandment is to love one another, abides in God and God in him. Chapter 4, in verse 7, we get two different proofs. The first half of verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So, if you have God's love, you are now capable of loving one another. The second proof in the second half of verse 7, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You can't love the church without having been loved by God first. It's impossible. The very next verse, verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It doesn't mean, that's not a, you know, you really should do this. It's you ought to prove that you're a Christian. It's not just a call to action. It's a, it's a test. And when he says you ought to do this, it's, it's, not a, it's not a hope. It's not a wish. It's a word that means you owe this. You're obligated. It's a foregone conclusion. The very next verse, don't blame me for being redundant. This is John's fault. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Skip down to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Again, it's a test. But here, now in verse 17, you get this beautiful gift This beautiful gift of assurance. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. What does that mean? That means if you can honestly in your heart as you're you're in the privacy of your own thoughts and trust me, I have had church members that when you finally get down to what they're actually thinking, they actually hate true believers. But in the privacy of your own thoughts, 
if you love the church, if you love these people who are right here, if you find yourself drawn to them and moved by their salvation testimonies and excited to walk through life together and even wondering, is he going to go to my funeral? Am I going to go to his? How are we going to walk through this life? You ought to stop and pause and say, the fact that I love the church is so assuring to me because it means I'm saved. It means I know Christ. Verse 19 We love because he first loved us. It's a little Sunday school verse we we often learn. It explains that our love for one another is derived in God's love for us at first. The very next verse, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John said it, not me. If you're, uh, say you, you love Christ and yet you don't have a thirst for the people of God, you're a liar. 1 John 4, 21 And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The very next chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You catch that? You say you love God, you also love all who have been born again, born of the Father. And the very next verse, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God, and obey his commandments. The two go hand in hand. Now, by my quick count, that's 24 times that John says, true believers love the church. That's why it's such an important question. You could probably teach First John now just because that's such an overwhelming theme. So given the fact that to love Christ is to love the church, how do we express that love for the church? Well, the church is called by the Apostle Paul the household of God. In 1 Timothy 3.15, how do we express love in our household? Well, many of you have or had children in your home, and in our home, the way children express their love and their gratitude for our family, for our home, for provision, for safety, is to work. We all serve one another. We work as a family, whether that's working to earn money, to teach children, to clean the house, to cook, to do dishes, to prepare for, for guests. That's how we demonstrate love to one another. We work, we serve each other. And it's no different in the household of God. We work to show our love for one another and for Christ. For someone to say that I love the church, but all I'm going to actually do is show up and listen to things and receive, 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 that's not love. That's not biblical love. So given that love for Christ translates into love for the church and love for the church translates into work, service, I just want to outline a chapter for you. Turn with me to Romans 12. Romans 12 really just kind of teaches itself. It's very simple to understand. And I don't even really have to go into any detail on it. If you wanted to give a, a simple outline of Romans 12, it is the why, the what, and the how of service to Christ. The why, the what, and the how of service to Christ in the church. And then I'm going to finish off by giving you seven benefits to serving Christ in the church. Now, this isn't rocket science. Romans 12 opens up to us like a primer on loving one another through service to Christ. And I really only need to spend a few moments basically reading it. It's very self-explanatory, very straightforward. So it starts off with the why of service to Christ in the church. And the why is God has been merciful to you. That's why. God's been merciful. 
Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then we're, we're exhorted to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that's the why. Why do you serve? God is merciful. He's kind to you. The what of service to Christ. The what is the use of your spiritual gifts. That's what service is. The use of your spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 3 through 8 lists these gifts. We have the gifts, verse 6, that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy, that is the, the four, fourth telling of the word of God in proportion to our faith. Uh, better translation, in proportion to the faith. Accurate teaching. Verse 7, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is easy. What are you good at? What do you, what do you have a heart for? Do that thing. And they're, they're all listed there. Those seven gifts really represent everything that needs to happen in the church. So the what of service to Christ is the use of your spiritual gifts. And you might say, well, I... I don't know what some of those things mean. I don't know what to do. Well, now we get the how. The how of service to Christ in the church is very simple. It is with genuine love. With genuine love. And how is this genuine love expressed? Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And now we're just going to get bullet points. If they had bullet points back then, I think Paul would have used them. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Be constant. Contribute. Show hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That is our worship time together in many ways. Weep with those who weep. That is our member care ministry. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. And so you have this, you have this list here of, well, what do I do in the church? This is it. This is it. This is Paul's ministry fair. Choose from these things and do all of these things. The why of service to Christ. God has been merciful. The what? Use your spiritual gifts and how? With genuine love. Now, obviously, we serve at the pleasure of Jesus Christ. It is a pleasure to serve in the church, to be a slave of Jesus Christ in position, sons and daughters in blessing, But I want to suggest to you some benefits to you in serving. And and I don't mean this to be self-serving for you, but I do want you to understand that that we don't just sacrifice with nothing coming back to us. We have many benefits. So I want to spend just the last few minutes here giving you these seven benefits. First benefit of serving is it keeps you from self-importance. It keeps you from self-importance. Believers love to be shepherded. They love to be given things to do. Unbelievers tend to resist shepherding, tend to resist leadership, and want their own so-called ministries. And I call them so-called because unbelievers can't actually minister anything. But they, they want them to be owned by them. 
I've often said that there are two kinds of servants in the church, the ones that cause headaches and the ones that cause joy. Those are the two kinds, and, and I have been both of them. And I want to be the one that causes joy. The one that causes headaches, they can't submit. They have to have their own way. They're gossips. They complain about everything. They want everything their way. They can't just go along with the program. They are self-important. The ones that cause joy, they love Christ. They love the church. And they have the attitude, as one man told me once in our membership class here, he said, I will do anything. Give me anything to do. Years ago, when we were in a little church plant in Texas, we had a, a fairly wealthy man come to the church, and he came for a number of months, and, and uh, we were a little church plant. We met in this ugly little basement that once a month, for some reason, just smelled like a bathroom. We still don't know why to this day, but we, we were thankful for it. But every Sunday after church, we had to all clean up. And so there I am with a broom, and I'm sweeping away, and this guy comes up. He's literally following me, saying, I'll, I'll do anything for the church. I, I'll lead the Bible study. I'll, I'll be your unpaid associate pastor. I'll, I'll be happy to be an elder. I'll be happy to do this and this. And so I, I stopped, and I handed him the broom. And I said, how about start here? And he goes, whoa, no, that's not what I was talking about. He just wanted to do the so-called fun stuff because he had a self-importance problem. Service keeps you from self-importance. Here's another benefit, the second one. Service racks up reward in heaven. It racks up reward in heaven. I think we're all going to be very, very surprised on who is serving whom in heaven. I've always said that I'm going to be my wife's dog catcher. That, that'll be my job in heaven. But I think we'll be very surprised that some of those that you thought were just the, the quiet behind the scenes people will be kings and queens in the heavenly kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, that the foundation that has been laid is Jesus Christ. And as we build on that foundation with, with good things that we do for the Lord, that he will reward us for that. Not giving our salvation based on those works, but giving us reward based on the fact that we've already been saved and now do things to serve him. Here's a third benefit to serving. Your service is a gift to give to Christ. It's a gift to give to Christ. How do you send God a greeting card? How do you, how do you write him a check? I, I know we give here, but that just goes to our bank. It, we don't have a special, one of those suction machines that goes all the way to heaven. And we don't have an angel up there going, oh, hey, look, John Smith here, he gave an extra $500 this month. We don't have that. But what can we give? Well, in the New Testament, rewards are pictured metaphorically as crowns, something that's given to you. In Revelation 4, 11 and 12, or 10 and 11 rather, pictures the church in heaven represented by 24 elders. And what are they doing? The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You know what your service does? It's like... You parents with little bitty kids, when you give your child a quarter or a dollar to put in the offering, you're giving them something to give to God. And your service enables you to give something to God. Here's a fourth benefit. It makes you obey Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. It makes you obey Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Now, I know all of you have that memorized, but just in case you're a little rusty, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And that is Paul quoting Psalm 90 that we read earlier, by the way. Yes, you can do sports, you can do hobbies, you can do clubs, you can do political agendas, you can do this and you can do that. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But have you made the best use of the time? When we were at the Sing Conference a week or so ago, uh, Sylvia and I went to a, a seminar by Dr. Joel Beakey, who is really the premier expert on on Puritan uh, traditions and so forth. And, and we went to hear him, and he made a statement that was very, very convicting. He said, how many families that say that they're Christian families are doing five sports, they're doing all kinds of ballet and all kinds of this and that, and thus they do not have time to sit down together and worship together. What a great convicting thought. But serving Christ makes you obey Ephesians 5. Here's a fifth benefit. Service proclaims the gospel of Christ as a team. He proclaims the gospel of Christ as a team. The, the proclamation of the truth of the gospel is a team effort. Make no mistake. In fact, just by being here tonight, you are helping the proclamation of the gospel. Just showing up to worship provides a venue in which Christ is proclaimed. The gospel is presented for the lost to hear. And we proclaim the gospel through our website, through Sunday school, through evangelism, small groups, women's ministry, men's ministry, through the songs that we sing. I, I, there's one, one precious testimony that always sticks out in my mind. Somebody who said, I came to Grace Bible Church and I enjoyed the preaching and heard the truth, but the hymns we sang spoke to my heart and I came to faith. Everything we do together, it contributes toward proclaiming the gospel of Christ. It's a team effort. Here's a sixth benefit. It tests the genuineness of your faith. It tests the genuineness of your faith, and I, I, I've already alluded to this, but I want to revisit it. By the way, yes, an unbeliever can serve faithfully in the church for a lifetime, die, be judged, and go to hell. That happens all the time. Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not do mighty works in your name? But as you serve, you can begin to see several indicators of your salvation. First, you see a genuine desire to be a submissive servant. I know somebody is saved, or I'm fairly certain somebody is saved when they literally get joy from being submissive, from just being whatever Christ needs them to be. Servants are submissive because you understand that to serve Christ is an honor. It is a joy. There's another indicator of your salvation, the genuine love for the people that you work alongside, not just for the tasks. I'm always concerned about someone who loves the task of ministry more than the people that they're ministering with. Or ministering to. The task is just a means to the people, not the other way around. Another indicator you see is the genuine sanctification as you work alongside people who correct and sanctify you. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you here have been in ministry together and gotten sideways with somebody? You're all, you're all chuckling inside. You can laugh out loud. That's okay because it releases the tension of knowing that it was your fault. So, but we sanctify each other. We're working together. We're being together. We have to get along. And the Lord places us in the venue to do that. That's why gigantic megachurches where virtually nobody serves, don't have, they don't have that benefit of that extra sanctification. And then you have the indicator of the development of genuine relationships in service. Listen, the best friends we have in the world are the ones that we serve alongside in the church. 
Those are the ones that we really gravitate to. It tests the genuineness of your faith. One more benefit. Service makes you commit to one another in biblical church membership. It makes you commit to one another in biblical church membership. There's a definite flow toward service in the church. And you have to listen to this flow carefully. Here's how it goes. Salvation, baptism, membership, worship in the Lord's table, and then service. Let me repeat that. Salvation, baptism, membership, worship in the Lord's table, and then service. Now, I didn't just make that up. This is the progression of Acts chapter 2. In fact, that's the exact progression. After Peter preached his Pentecost sermon, thousands were cut to their souls and repented in salvation. And here's the order. Acts 2.41. So those who received his word, that's salvation, were baptized. There's water baptism. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. That's church membership. They were counting heads. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's worship and the Lord's table. And then Acts 2.45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That was their first service. And what's the result? Verse 47 of Acts 2, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Please trust me on this. The church that is devoted to serving one another, to serving naturally, will automatically, automatically be an evangelistic church because it it will be an outpouring of the the organic uh, service that we're enjoying with one another. It's something that we all want to be a part of. It's not necessarily the church with the greatest evangelism programs that impacts the world for the gospel. It's the church that serves. And the gospel now is just organically and naturally put forward through everything we do. Now, tonight, if you're already committed up to the gills, I I praise the Lord for you. But can you do what you're doing more efficiently? Would an honest evaluation show that you have 20 hours a week of free time still? I've issued a lot of, usually younger men, I've issued a challenge when men tell me, I just don't have enough time. I say, well, show me your calendar. I'll bet I can find 20 hours. You know, I'm undefeated in that so far. I'll bet I can find 20 hours. Oh, Netflix, nine hours a week. There's nine, that's easy. If you haven't jumped into the work of Christ at, at Grace Bible Church, tonight's your chance to receive all these benefits. I mean, listen, I, I don't hold up my family as an example. I'm just telling you, this is what we do. Basically, we do home and we do church. That's kind of our life. We don't really do much else. And and it's a rich life. It's It's a glorious life. Tonight is your chance to receive all those benefits, to enjoy the love of the body. And by the way, um, if you know someone who's been here a long time and they're not doing anything, come alongside them. And also, by the way, if you, for various physical or other reasons, you're unable to do anything. We love you and we cherish you, but you can pray and you can, you can spend those hours that you might have served in prayer and that may be the greatest service. I, I think this is probably belaboring the point tonight because most of you here are aware of this, but when I came to Grace Bible Church, 
the elders asked me to bring a vision for the overall picture of ministry at the church in one small little element, something that we brought that we thought would just be a little extra, sort of a little dessert, a little bonus learning time, something that we called a summer equipping conference. And we just thought that would be a little half day where we get together and do a couple of sessions and learn a couple of things. But because the Lord created an atmosphere of service and love for the gospel and love for Christ, this thing became kind of its own beast here. More and more ideas got put forward. More people got involved, and it developed into the Steadfast Bible Conference. And now it's being put on as a team effort. And tonight at the team meeting, there were more volunteers for the Steadfast Bible Conference than we had members when I first came to the church. That's a blessing. That is a joy. And, and now we, we have two different websites for the Steadfast Conference. We've seen John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, Chris Mueller, Carl Hargrove, Scott Arthur-Vanis, um, Andrew Curry this year, Answers in Genesis, the Masters University getting involved. I mean, that's just, that's phenomenal. You never know how the Lord will use your efforts to, to serve him. Uh, last year, I got an email from someone who came to the conference and said, I love the sessions, love the music, but what ministered to me was a young lady who gave me a cookie and who smiled at me and asked me, how am I doing? Am I enjoying myself? And then asked me, how long have I known the Lord? And just struck up a conversation with me. And she took the time to write me an email about that. One Saturday, I came up to the church to study a little. And one of our cleaning teams was here, but didn't hear me come in. The alarm had been turned off already. And so I was, I always do this if I come up here and somebody's cleaning. I always want to go greet them and, and just say hello. But this person was singing, How Great Thou Art, at the top of his lungs, in the bathroom. And I didn't want to embarrass him. I was so touched, I didn't want to ruin the moment. I just stood outside and just listened in awe as a worshiper of Jesus Christ, literally scrubbed a toilet while singing How Great Thou Art at the top of his lungs. And I thought, that is a worshiper. I am proclaiming his praises and doing the lowest of the low for Christ. So my question is, do you love the church? If you do, then let's show it. Let's show it. Let's prove it. Our Father, thank you so much for these texts. They're so clear. They just present themselves. They are crystal clear. And Lord, it has always been our prayer at Grace that we have the culture of service, the culture of really not seeing the church as some little hobby that we try to include into our lives if we possibly can can grace it with our presence. But to see the church of Jesus Christ as our love and our passion. We are called the bride of Christ. And how appropriate it is to serve the bridegroom by serving the bride. So, Lord, I pray you would make us effective. I pray for those here who are already doing much. I pray that you would continue to make them effective, give them strength, let them not grow weary in well-doing. And I pray for those that in honestly evaluating know that they could probably watch Amazon Prime a little less and serve Jesus Christ a little more. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to use the time well. This may be our last Sunday on earth. This may be our last week, our last month, our last year to serve you. And so I pray that we would all have the the desire to finish well, to not walk slowly across the finish line, but to crawl across the finish line, exhausted and tired for the sake of Christ as we come to our reward. We pray these things for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen.